You are listening to Your Money Story. I am Dawn Thomas, a mother of three, financial advisor by day, and a PhD candidate researching superannuation engagement. Your Money Story is about celebrating your journey, including you in the money conversation, empowering you to take control of your finances, and equalizing your position wherever you are. Let's change how the story ends. The information discussed in this podcast does not take into account your personal, financial, objectives and situation. Before acting on any information discussed here, you should consider its appropriateness having regard to your objectives, needs and financial situation. Welcome to this episode of Your Money Story and we've got Krista Phileas. Krista, I've got you here to talk about the Xenial leader because I just think you're awesome and your story is awesome um, and there's a lot to share with that. Welcome, Krista. Hi, Don. Thank you for having me. So for our listeners, um, Krista currently manages about 380 people um, in the oil and gas industry. The other layer to that is that she's also doing this in another country that's not her homeland. So Krista's originally from the Netherlands and she's working in the Philippines. Krista, can you tell us about your journey? Because it wasn't a straightforward move to get where you are. No, no, it wasn't. So my, um, I'm trained to be a nurse, which is something completely different than the occupation I have now. But I left that profession uh, mostly being frustrated with the healthcare system and how things were turning out. At the time, my sister worked for the company I am currently working for, and they did mass hiring. And um, I was always very interested in science and um, in school. And you didn't need a real qualification except for the ability and the willingness to learn something. So I thought, why not? You know, my nursing degree will stay valid for a while anyway. If it doesn't <laughs> turn out to what I wanted to be, then I can always uh, go back, uh, which I never did. <laughs> 12 years later, I'm still here. Uh, but I started in the field as an inspector on ships, um, sampling and measuring oil, um, guiding custody transfers, as we call them. And from there, I got a supervisory position within two years, overseeing the terminal where I worked at, uh, helping my colleagues, doing reporting, um, doing some customer service work until my colleague at the time I shared a job with got really sick and I needed to be on the customer service full time. Mm. And I never returned into the field. So I only worked outside for a year or three. And from there, I did that for a couple of years in the port of Rotterdam. Then I was asked to do an advisory position for a year in Belgium, just across the border from where I lived. Uh, compared, it's close. It was an hour drive, so it wasn't all that bad. Uh, abroad, but not really, as we would say in Netherlands. And um, when that position ended, they had no more place for me in Netherlands. Uh, not something I wanted to do, at least not going back from where I was. And then I got hired by our headquarters in Geneva for a position as a global key account manager, which I did for a couple of years. But they needed to restructure that team. And they were asking for volunteers who want to do something else. And although I learned a lot and I quite enjoyed it, they offered me a couple of options, one in Singapore, one in Switzerland. Wow, so that is that is a very long and diverse journey, um, and and what I come to know of you is that you're so multi-skilled. Um, and listeners, this is actually the second time we're attempting this podcast because between Krista and myself, we both have internet issues. Um, so Krista um, has gone through this journey, um, her story, and everything with me. So that's why I'm, I might just go. You know, Krista, we talked about this the last time. 
tell us again. Uh, but what Krista told me on the first attempt of recording this podcast is that when the opportunity came up, she she didn't hold back. She actually grabbed it with both hands. You know, you said you didn't talk yourself out of it. You didn't do any of that. Yeah, what, what made you so fearless about taking on a role like that? Because from my understanding, in a similar role, you are one woman out of 60. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. The, currently, I'm the only woman in my position uh, for the company I work for globally. We had more. Uh, but unfortunately, I think at the time we started, there were three. And now at the moment, I'm the only one left. Um, I'm not sure, it, it, you know, it, it, being oil and gas, being a fairly male-dominated industry, it makes sense in a way. On the other hand, uh, yeah. I don't know. There are probably multiple reasons uh, for it. Um, but when I got the opportunity, I know I, I didn't hesitate. And I think for a very long time, uh, it was a discussion with my husband already that, you know, we would like to live abroad and, and wanted to see something different, do something different. We kind of share that spirit in that way. Um, so when, when the opportunity was there, I didn't doubt it for a second. So yeah, cool. We're going to do that. In addition, um, you know, I've always been somebody, I don't say yes to everything, but if I think the opportunity is there and it's something I like, I don't hesitate. I say, yeah, sure, mm. we'll do that. Let's have a look. Let's try it out. So we went here for a three-week orientation, um, two weeks in the office, and one week uh, I got to spend a holiday. We flew on the 31st of August, and then uh, I started the day after. And, and what you've explained to me previously was that... Um, you don't really let things hold you back. You, I think I, because I asked you, um, you know, how do you feel as, as a woman being in quite a male-dominated space? I think firstly, if you are certain of what you do and you are um, you're knowledgeable about whatever job you hold, there is no reason for you to be nervous about it or to be um, insecure about it. Although having said that the first time I had to speak for Congress here in the Philippines, uh, I did, I was nervous, but that was because it was in a political setting, not something I was extremely used to, but I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm certain about my subject matter. I know what I talk about. So, and, and the more you talk about it, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. And I also, um, but it's what you say. So I don't on a daily basis think, oh, wow, I'm only one out of 60 because mm-hmm. it doesn't help you in, in a way. Um, I also don't want to be treated like it's something special. I don't think it helps you in any way. Um, but as long as you know what you're doing, there's no reason to doubt yourself. Although other people would like you to do so sometimes. Yeah. And that yeah. is something that I think over the years I've learned to shrug it off. You know, if that is what you want to think, fine, then you should do that. Um, but I don't let it influence me anymore. But that was completely different 10 years ago. Mm. Mm. And I think that's a, a fair point. Um, I, I, my observation, because we are pretty much the same age, is that there comes a point where you stop caring externally. Oh, I mean, not, not, not entirely stop caring, but you minimize a lot of the external voices because you do realize it's more about what someone else feels rather than what who you are so you don't give it a lot of attention um but some of our listeners are younger you know you you've, and, and they haven't actually quite dis- discovered how to deal with that so when if you could put yourself at that position where you you were giving a bit more um attention to this uh, you know those kind of voices that maybe are not as supportive what what advice would you have for them as they're coming up in their leadership journey i think you have to um 
you know, be certain of yourself. And, and if, if you know that what you need to know, um, again, if you studied your subject matter and you know what you're talking about, then yes, you, you might feel influenced or intimidated by people who have been in the industry longer. Um, but it's not a guarantee. I mean, I've been working with people who have been in the industry for forever and not all of them, but some of them are severely outdated, mm-hmm. um, still holding back to ideas from 20 years ago. And again, there's nothing, I, I don't blame them for that. I think that is natural. That might happen to us eventually. I, mm-hmm. I'm not, um, but if you are sure about what you're saying, stand your ground and you don't need to be impolite about it or um, rude or, but just trust yourself that you know enough that you can defend yourself if need to be um, to um, to make sure that you can convey whatever you want to say. But it, it is true at some at certain points, you know, you, you have people who have been there for a long time and they pretend to know everything. It's not necessarily true. You know, I think people kind of make the assumption that, look, she did it. She did it. So she probably, she got over all the barriers that were there. Um, and, and my point of view is like, you know, why, why should there be so many barriers for the younger women that are coming through, you know, and that's what we can use as a voice for us being where we are right now. Um, and, and there was a point, Krista, that and involves your sister and she is very courageous to let us discuss it as well. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about the safety of women in the workplace. Now, this is transcending across many different industries, and your sister is a leader. She's an accomplished woman. She's a strong woman. Can you take us through what happened to her? I mean, because you're in similar industries. Yeah, there's no exactly the same industry. Well, not anymore because she quit, but not because of that incident. But to give you a little bit of background, I think if you work, um, um, so my sister and I worked outside as inspectors in the port. And we had a group of, I think at the time, 220 people uh, out of them, four girls. Um, so again, there there is yeah. a, a big um, inequality between that. Having said that, girls who choose to work in an industry like that uh, generally have a backbone because otherwise you don't survive. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that, that that is not insulting, trying to insult other people who don't feel like doing it, but you have to have a certain stamina to, to keep up with it. Um, because aside from the incident we will discuss in a bit, um, mm-hmm. the insinuations continuously are everywhere. Mm. appropriate remarks and you either have to be able to shrug it off or laugh about it but as soon as you get defensive it gets worse mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to give a snarky remark and put them in their place which is okay. can be very enjoyable if you have to be um, so I never experienced any uh, true physical assault there was mm-hmm. once a time when it was very close but I managed to to de-escalate the situation uh, but my sister truly got assaulted so she was working um, on a ship and if I'm not mistaken it was in the machine room where she had to take an oil sample and she was cornered by the chief engineer uh. who uh, started touching her inappropriately um, and he had made insinuations earlier, inappropriate remarks, um, and and she got, uh, you know, she she suffered from that. Um, it in the end, you know, the fact that somebody touches you in places you don't want to be touched, even if it is over your clothes, it, it, it is a bit, yeah. It's it's just not. It's just mm. inappropriate. And um, so she escalated the situation to our chief inspector, who is basically the the team leader for the inspectors outside. Mm. Um, and they 
contacted the shipping company. Uh, the next day, she had to go back to the same ship because it was a fairly complicated operation. And then you have to return in your next shift because you have control over the, over the operation. Uh, and she refused initially. And the team leader said, why are you refusing? And I said, well, if I can take somebody else with me, then, you know, it might be fine. And then they escalated to the captain of the ship and the guy was fired and sent home. Um, but I think, and, and I can't speak for my sister, but what made it worse for me is that certain people within our company said, well, she probably asked for it. That pissed me off more than anything. Yes. That, you know, that is so, that is so low. And so, yeah. um, because nobody asks for that. I think the sentiment that you're talking about it's not something that is unheard of. Where, no, victim where, shaming, yeah, I victim think shaming, it is. Yeah. yeah, it is It is very, you know, um, and I think it is It is. It is sad. And I think in this aspect uh, at your work, it is It is sad, but it's also sad in your private life. I mean, if you are mm. uh, and, and talking about, you know, going out, dressing up, if you want to wear a short skirt, fine, go for yeah. it. Nobody, yes. that's not an excuse for anybody to do anything or to behave in a certain way if, if they're not invited to do so. So, uh, yeah, but I think, uh, um, so I discussed with her beforehand if mm. we could talk about this and she is okay with it because she also said, you know, there have been so many more instances at work where it didn't go that far and I've experienced that myself mm. too. But because you try to downplay it and try to shrug it off. Yes. Hindsight, you know, we should have reported to people. Yes. Brought it out in the open. Um, yes. Yeah, it's too late for that now, at least for some of them, because they don't work there anymore. And I think uh, going back onto something that happened eight years ago, but uh, I do want to encourage, you know, if it happens to you in your workplace and it is inappropriate, speak to somebody. If you feel you can't speak to HR, mm -hmm. Then speak to somebody else, even to other female colleagues, um, and then come up with something. I know that most um, big corporations have, um, um, how do you say that, anonymous tip line or, mm -hmm. or something of the where you can um, uh, flag discrepancies hap yes. happening at work. Yes. And uh, use those channels because if we don't speak up about it, it will continue happening and it's yes. not going to stop. That first thing about you're just trying to do your job. You know, and I, I think this is, is one of the things that sometimes maybe our male peers don't understand is that if we go out and do a job, there is no clear line for other people to understand that we're just doing our job. You know, like they can go into work and it's clearly understood that they're there to do their work. Uh, but somehow, you know, if you're a woman in whatever industry it sounds, it's just worse in certain ones than others you're losing a sense of humanity when someone breaches your domain. But it's the fact that it's totally overlooked the fact that you've got any skills, professions, ideas, you know, how smart you are, how driven you are, how hard you've worked to get where you are. All of that is ignored. Um, and that that is really heartbreaking because um, when we have arguments about, not arguments, we have discussions about trying to elevate women into positions of equality, that journey is not really understood. You know, people kind of go, oh, it's, if they're good enough, they'll get it. You know, or people are just being put into roles because they don't deserve it. But nobody truly understands the small little things that happen um, each day. Like you were just mentioning, it was not, that was a, that was one incident where it escalated to that point. But there've been many smaller incidents that you've had to look past. But what do you want to say to corporations about supporting women better? 
Yeah, I think that the first thing is that um, if if your staff or people who experience something like this come up with it, you have to believe it. Don't yeah. doubt them. You know, yeah. don't yeah. don't interrogate them. I think I've seen that um, in multiple instances, not only where it concerned me, but also other staff, and they 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 doubt it whether mm. your story is true. But give people the benefit of the doubt and and yeah. and listen to them and make sure they're heard. Um, there is not always something the workplace can do about it. Uh, we had a complaint here locally about something that happened with two employees while they were mm-hmm. out with a gr- group of employees on a weekend outing that wasn't related to the company. Mm-hmm. Um, the incident was reported to us. But I was shocked by how initially HR said... Uh, well, again, she probably asked for it. Then you shouldn't go as a single lady on a group travel with other people who can who are also single. Or, and you know that that doesn't uh, that doesn't help me. Uh, and although technically we could not interfere in that sense, that we could not give a memo or mm. or uh, reprimand somebody, I think the fact that they feel hurt um, helps helps enormously. And don't just dismiss it. I think that is very important. In the past, you've looked over it. But the reality is that even women now, if they do speak up, they've got more to lose. Yeah. Um, then, if you know, so almost it's like you even, um, sometimes women do question, how, have they put themselves in a situation? Because that's the narrative put on them by society, right? You you, yeah. you must have done something to put yourself in there. And, um, and so even speaking up is not exactly easy. And you're saying that, believe her, because she has more to lose by actually saying something about it. Yeah. Um, you know, if I can make it clear to, um, if there's anyone working, you know, it's not too sold on the idea about believing women when they speak up, believe her because she has so, so much more to lose by doing that. It's not an easy process. You get questioned, you know. Um, uh, I've heard from women saying that they've, they've lost promotions down the track, you know, um, or like you said, you know, you, you described it as having a backbone when you're in the industry, but basically what you're saying, you have to overlook a lot of misconduct, bad behavior, just to be able to be in that industry. No, true. And you have to pick your fights as well, because if yeah. you would report uh, every infraction that is made, you are going to be perceived as somebody who complains continuously, mm. who whines, who can't take anything, you can't take a joke, you know, you're not funny. And I, in a way that is incredibly sad, but you do, yeah, unfortunately, as of now, that is still how it is. And I have a really hard time trying to figure out how we can change this. Every time somebody would have made an inappropriate remark, if I would have flagged that, I would have been served off halfway in my career because there's the yes. girl again who says something. Yes. Um, although there are certain instances where it really goes too far. And I think that is the moment you really have to say something. But it's, it's, it's A, annoying that you have to deal with it, that people yes. just have the, the audacity to say mm-hmm. things like that to mm-hmm. start with. And then you have to balance it. Is this serious enough for me to report or should I let it slide? Yes. You know, it's... in. Inequality at its best, I think. Uh, well, at its worst, more, more I like know. it. Yeah. I think that's coming up a lot more now, especially in Australia, that um, you know, they're making it known that this is not a woman's issue. <laughs> this, is, this is a man's issue. That yeah. When you say, what can we do about it? It's not being solved because we're asking women to, to tackle things a different way. We're asking them you know, to try and be safe in situations where they may not be safe. You know? But what about 
the people who are doing that? You know, what about the people, even the men who are not doing that? Are you pulling up the guys around you and saying this is not this is not right? You know, are we setting the culture to make it safe for women to thrive? Because I'm not really sure across industries that it's not an even playing field in one level. So if not even talking about pay, if even if we're talking about how you tackle your work day, it's not an even playing field. Um, so, you know, like Krista, I know like where you are, like you've established yourself in, in your career, you know, you stand very strong in our last conversation as well. I mean, your leadership style, understanding the journey you've had and seeing everything you've had, what kind of leader has that made you and what kind of difference has that made for your team? I think in general, I've always been given a lot of uh, self-accountability, but also responsibility. Um, I have worked with a couple of people. Uh, one of them, uh, Jacob, he, he was truly my mentor in that sense that I learned a lot from him. Um, and and uh, micromanaging is useless. So if I that is that is my main philosophy. If I have to micromanage people, then we have the wrong people in the wrong place. Um, it is also something that I have been told in my career, I hired you to do a job. Mm -hmm. I hired you because I think you have the competency to do so. So if I need to tell you how to do your job, something clearly isn't working. That doesn't mean you cannot coach or guide people. That is something completely different. But if I have to drop everybody's job from, from eight in the morning till six in the evening, then something is not going well. So I, I do the same with my people. They get a lot of freedom. They all know their KPIs. If you manage your KPIs and if your work is finished, it's fine with me. Then that's all I ask. Yes. Um, and I think especially now uh, with the pandemic going on, uh, recently the restrictions here got more stringent again. Um, but if you, you know, we, we see now that working from home and people work slightly different hours because uh, they kids haven't been to school here in the Philippines for over a year now. Oh wow. wow! Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you have if you have children at home, it gives a completely different dynamic. So I see a lot of my my my, um, especially women who start earlier in the morning, work till mm. ten o'clock, let's say, then have a break till three in the afternoon, so they can do some homeschooling, they can prepare, um, you know, the meals for the day, mm. and then they continue again till eight o'clock in the evening and again for me that is fine as long as you're reachable on the moment you have to be yeah. um and and you do whatever you have to do and you respond to your emails in an appropriate manner for me that's fine it is different for our people in the field and our people in the laboratories yes. uh, because they need to be physically present mm. um Having said that, that works differently here anyway, because we have staff houses for them provided near the locations where they work, the transport is being provided. Uh, so that works slightly differently. But for me, you know, as long as you do what you have to do and you don't uh, try to take shortcuts and you conduct yourself in a way you should, then for me, that's fine. I, mm. I don't like micromanaging people and I don't like to be micromanaged either myself. So I think that helps. I mean, what you're saying is that you recognize that everybody has a different kind of home life. Um, and as a leader, adapting to what's happened with COVID-19 is really quite an unreal scenario for a lot of situations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and that kind of understanding that happens uh, is something that, that you bring into your leadership role. You've also mentioned previously that with SGS, there's a number of women who actually work um, in the team's that you manage. So there is quite a, a, a good split. 
Yeah, so in the beginning when I started here, we had uh, women in the laboratories, but nobody in the field, so no women mm -hmm. in the actual port. Um, and I think two years in, we got a request from a university here to girls who studied petroleum engineering to do an apprenticeship or OGT on a job training as they call it here and I we accepted them and then I emailed my my local supervisor and I asked him uh, where are you going to place them yeah they can type reports I said no I don't think so yeah. <laughs> I said those girls have a university training in petroleum engineering they're not going to type reports you're going to send them to a ship and then initially they were a bit hesitant. Yeah, but women shouldn't do that. And then he realized who he was talking to and he said, oh yeah, I can't say that to you, <laughs> no. So we, um, both of them started outside. Uh, one of them uh, didn't manage it, unfortunately. Uh, but again, that, that happens everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. it even happens with guys. I've seen uh, on the job trainees yes. who complained after two days, it's too hot, I can't do this, it's too difficult. So yes. that, that makes no difference. And the other one is still working for us. Yeah. Uh, she finished her degree and then reapplied to uh, start working with us. And she's a great girl. We uh, do mass hiring for the government project that we started a year and a half ago. That was around 270 additional staff. And outside, it is nearly 50-50. I think at the moment it's 40-60. Wow. So that from, from zero, I think for me, was a, a big accomplishment. To, to be able to change the mindset of people here that... You know, everybody can do this job as long as you're qualified, as long as you're willing. Well, qualified gender willing. doesn't matter. Yeah, but also I think the thing that you, if you, when you have senior management, senior leaders that truly believe in that, that makes a difference for anyone else that is coming into the company. Uh, because, you know, it, it was not necessarily something that you're doing as part of a checker box, you know, for diversity and inclusion. It's something that you truly no. believe that anybody can do the job. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the mindset change that we need because there's a lot of unconscious bias about, you know, who can do something and who can't. Yeah. Um, so that's very evident for you as a leader that you are shaping that next generation of people within that industry. Yeah, and I think it's also something that I learned in Rotterdam when I walked outside myself and we spoke to our team leaders and I think I asked him the question was, is it a, a, how do you feel about having, having a, a girl in your team? And he said, it got a lot better because the guys are a little less macho. They don't feel like they need to prove themselves continuously. They got a little less loud and a bit more considerate and it just balances everything out a little bit. Mm. So I think when it comes to that, it, it benefits everybody. Um, but I do feel the same done about uh, completely uh, female-dominated industries because I worked as a nurse with mm -hmm. only women. <sighs> Doesn't work either. Mm -hmm. It works best when there's a bit of a mix. Yeah, so I think that, that, you know, that applies everywhere. Um, but it works well. And I think, I, I do think that... Um, because of my background and because I've, I've worked in operations myself, it was easier to convince A, the guys here to, to yes. allow it, but also to convince the girls that they would be able to do it. Oh, you know, that is, it's really such a good news story, Krista, um, because you are far away from our listeners, maybe. Maybe we might have some listeners in Philippines coming soon because they're tuning in to listen to you. Yes. Um, and, and it's just, I think it's just amazing what a good leader can do. I think that's why there's the argument for a diverse range of leaders as well within companies, because you bring different perspectives. You know, you're not just hung up on one idea. Uh, have you ever met any resistance for having the views that you have when it comes to leadership? Um, yeah, I think especially in the beginning when I had to work 
who have been in the industry for decades. Mm. Um, and that, um, I followed up an, an expat as well. He was a British guy uh, near his 70s, a very friendly man, um, but with clearly different views than I had. And mm. they had worked together with him for, I think he was here for 15 years. So it was a bit of a culture shock. Mm. Um, not necessarily because of the expat part, uh, but, but you know, uh, a, a, um, a female, a lot younger, very direct, and I, yeah, very, very direct. Yeah, yeah, I think that might be worth explaining. Don is that uh, Dutch people are being perceived uh, being direct anyway, yeah. um, and I am direct plus from time to time. Uh, although I have to say that my my time in the Philippines has learned me to be a little less direct, yeah, uh, or at least. Yeah, a little less pushy with it. Yeah. Um, so, so that was a learning curve as well. But, uh, but there were people I didn't see eye to eye with. But that would have happened, I think, also when I um, would have worked in the Netherlands, because yeah. there is a certain generation. And again, I have nothing against them, and they have proven themselves and worked for a long time. But they are not very inclined to change their views anymore. A lot of the ladies I work with were quite happy with the change. <laughs> um, a, a bit of a different mindset. Um, but there are always there are always people who object for one of reason course. or another, whether legitimate or not. And as long as they don't sabotage uh, everything done, they can object. That's fine. I don't always agree with everything either. So that's fair because I mean, there, there's no ideal environment where you're not going to meet resistance with things. But one other area that I was hoping to pick your brain on um, is that. Um, what I found working in the banking space and they're talking about pay quality and things like that is the one thing they say is that you can't talk about how much pay you're on. So when you go into a new position, then you're supposed to tell somebody what pay you want. Um, and I, I noticed my observation is that guys are actually quite, well, they're more forthright with actually discussing pay or even asking for pay. Um, because again, it's coming back to the, oh, this is a woman's issue to fix. And, and one of the issues is that we're not valuing ourselves as much as we should. But also if we don't know what we should be asking for, I think it's really hard. Um, Krista, what's your advice? So if we've got younger listeners or listeners that are in that position where they've got a sneaking suspicion they're not being paid as they should, you know, as someone at your level, what advice would you give them about negotiating pay for value that they have? I'm the last one to say that, Don, because I'm also not paid as I should. Because I also was too polite when negotiating. Because yeah. you, you, and I think that is, for me, I. But that's my theory: is that women think, well, if I've proven myself, yes, then I'll go and ask for more money because you know I want to show what I'm worth first. And that, uh, I've also learned over time that once you have a salary. And it is negotiated. You get your yearly increase if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, if the industry, because this year we have zero increase here because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and then you're too late. So play hardball. Yeah. Ask too much. You know, uh, don't be ridiculous, but but ask more than you want, and yes. then they do a counter offer, and then hopefully you end up somewhere where. Uh, but don't be, don't be too polite about it. But I did grow from barely 150 people to 380 with uh, a revenue that is nine times what mm. it was when I started here. So I think based on that, I deserve an increase. <laughs> Do you think they might be listening? <laughs> I hope so. But well, I told my boss that before, yeah. 
and again, I'm not dissatisfied with my salary. I have an expat salary in the Philippines. Philippines isn't the cheapest country in Asia, but you know, we can live happily and, and there are, you know, we can yeah. go on a holiday <laughs> if we would be allowed to. And we can do the things we like. We can go out. So there, there's no, you know, I'm not suffering. That is not the point. At a certain time, so our EVP from Switzerland said, yeah, Chris, we, we got you really cheap there. And I thought, really? Oh. oh, I should have known. I should have known. Once you negotiated your pay, it's kind of high, harder to renegotiate once you're in the role besides those regular increases if you do get it. That's a very important point. I think initially, I also think that these days there is a lot. And, and um, then I'm referring to, to yeah. jobs that you can get locally. As an expat moving to another country, it's a bit more difficult to get a yeah. sense of salary because there are less comparisons to make. And it depends on the country where you're going. Mm. Depends on how much. It's a harder assessment. Yeah, yeah, it's a harder assessment. But I think if you these days there are enough tools to do an assessment. If you, for example, if in Australia, I I think there are plenty possibilities to figure out what a salary range is. But don't undersell yourself. You know, if there is a salary range, uh, there are always brackets. If you have an X amount of experience, or you did some really good projects in your previous job, that help you stand out from others. Don't undersell yourself, because. If they don't want to pay you what you're worth, do you really want to work there? Good point. You know, and, and I also do understand that currently with the pandemic and it might be difficult to get a job. And But I also think that makes employers, you know, a bit more prone to underpaying people because mm. people are desperate for a job. They will come anyway. And I do understand it's a difficult balance. You know, if you have to feed a family and you have to take care of yes. other people, you might not always have the opportunity to, to or the luxury to negotiate that way. On the other hand, you know, um, try to figure out what is the bracket you should be in and then add to it. This is a point where I'm stronger than other people. Um, this is something I'm really good at. Mm. This is something I have already accomplished. And then, you know, look at the sliding scale of... Uh, of what you think is possible as for 12 yeah because they will always go down i was speaking to one of these other fearless ladies and she was she was just telling me i've never accepted what's been in been advertised she said she's always pitched higher and i just looked at it as like wow <laughs> i don't even have that thought you know because i'm so busy going through the checklist of you know do i have all the items that are there and more, you know, that's what I think. And I think, oh, if I don't have as much more, maybe I'm not right at the range, but I think we need to tell ourselves as women that the general way that it works doesn't work that way because no. if we're assuming that mostly, you know, men are applying for these jobs and, and they will ask for their worth. There is nothing humiliating or bad or failure wise if we ask for that for ourselves as well. We and I've done a lot of, yeah, because I've yeah. done a lot of negotiating uh, with hiring extra people. I yeah. can tell you men are not shy. Yeah. They ask for things. I think, oh, really? You <laughs> think you deserve that? Well, let's see about that. Yeah. But yeah. if you, but one more thing about the negotiation. So if you feel that you can't ask for it in, in monetary terms, look at your benefits. Mm. What else can you get out of that? Can you get a higher HMO coverage? Can you try ask for a company car? Um, some extra days of leave. Yeah. Paid leave, you know, there are more points to negotiate on than, than solely um, the salary that they, you know, transfer to your bank account every month. Um, try to negotiate on the bonus, 
incentives, other things, because I do know that companies tend to be inclined to give that yes. earlier. And, and the, the reason for that being, and, and you know that as well as I do, is because it, it has no influence really on your pension money and other things. But it is a gain for you directly. Yes. And if you move on, um, it's something that you can take with you and then negotiate on something else. But if you feel that you can't ask for directly more money in your bank account, uh, but you feel you deserve more, look at your benefits and see what you can do with that. Listeners, we've got this great advice from Krista. Um, and if any of you want to tell me your, your pay negotiation stories, I, I would really love to hear it. Um, because I think, yeah, that, that we need to be fearless. And if it's not one way, maybe don't take no for an answer because there are other ways for you to get benefits. That's what Krista is saying. Um, and I think we just all need to challenge ourselves to be paid our worth. I think that's just an overriding thing if, that we can do. It's just being paid our worth, for goodness sake. We're putting in the work, just that there's no doubt about it. Let's just get paid our worth. Um, Krista, is that we're talking about support systems. I mean, you've, you've told me that your family has really kept you grounded and supported, and you've also really got a good partnership. What does that mean for you in terms of your success as a leader to have that support base? So I've, I've been, and I think it starts with how we are raised. So my, my parents have two daughters, me and my sister, uh, but we have always been raised that everything is possible. So we were taught how to fix uh, the, 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 the bicycle tire, how to do some maintenance on a car. And, and that was never something we were told we couldn't do. So I think while working and while um, going into a fairly technical industry, my parents have always supported me. When we wanted to, when I wanted to move to the Philippines, they were sad about it in that aspect that I wouldn't be around the corner anymore. But on the other hand, they were immensely proud that I, I wanted to do that and that yes. I got the opportunity. Uh, they also got a couple of very good holidays out of it. So <laughs> that probably helps. Um, and and same for my, my partner, um, you know, he's never said you can't do that. He understands that um, what I do can be very straining at times. He lets me vent. Um, and being very polite, yes, darling, I know, darling, yes, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think it helps to, to have friends like, like you, um, but also my sister-in-law who, who have a tough job and, and also have worked very hard to get where they are, have leadership positions and, and talk about work, not necessarily in detail, but just about the general feeling and how things sometimes don't work out, ask each other for advice. Um, and I think that is, that is really helpful. Mm. I've also seen friends who did not understand the choices I made, which is fine. You know, everybody has different ambitions. Um, I do think that it was easier for me to to pack up and to move across the world because I don't have any children. Mm -hmm. I think that would be, you know, that that makes things very different, uh, more difficult to to uh, to pack up and to move. But um, no, but I think it is it is important that you feel that you're supported by your family or your friends. And same with my sister. I mean, uh, you know, could, could not have done it without her either. What parting advice can you give our future female leaders? Or if we've got listeners that have got daughters that 
they aspire to just, you know, be groundbreaking in their field. So make sure that you know what you're talking about, that you study the subject matter, that you keep up with your industry. Um, I think that is something I work on really hard. I mean, oil and gas is an industry that will be outdated uh, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to focus on learning more about renewable energies and to see w- what we can do with that locally, but also what role I could play in that in the long term. And, and trust yourself. If you try to be somebody that you're really not just to keep up appearances or to pretend, eventually that that is not going to work out. You will either become very unhappy or just doesn't work. And you don't, you, and if you want to keep a bit of yourself back, I mean, there are sides of me that people at work never see. That is Mm -hmm. fine. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't need to share everything with everybody, but be yourself as much as you can. Thank you for your time, Krista. I'm sure our listeners have taken on some of your learnings as well. So thank you so much, Krista. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and um, you know, if, if any listeners would have any follow-up questions or anything else, then uh, let them reach out to you and you know how to find me. Yes, I'll put, I'll put some of your contact details uh, for Krista yes. uh, on our show notes um, and you'll be able to get in touch with her. Thank you for joining our Circle of Stories. Subscribe for new episodes. Let's change how the story ends.